This is the rhythm that we have each week of you get to quiet yourself and to open your ears and to hear the preached word, which is a means of grace to you. So I know that you're not going to be dialoguing with me, but you are not passive right now. Don't be passive. Be thinking, wrestling, hearing, believing, engaging with me as a good listener. And you're going to have to humble yourself to receive from, from a, a fellow sinner. But this is the way that God has ordained for the word to get out there. One sinner to another, throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. So I invite you to give yourself to that with me. All right, let me start this off with two stories. Then we'll pray and hit the text. Story number one. When I was little, we moved from New York City up to Boston. And we ended up living in Everett. We thought we were going to live in Wakefield. And so I got enrolled in school in Wakefield. I want you to imagine the first day of school for a brand new kid with a little bit of a New Yorkish accent in a super towny town like Wakefield. Imagine that first day. What did I desperately need? I needed somebody to be willing to love the stranger, to move toward the new kid in welcome and warmth. That is not what I got. What I got was Chris Kruger. If you ever meet him, punch him in the throat for me. Chris Kruger sat right behind me in most of the classes, alphabetical order, Kruger, Cruz, and When he found out that I was not from Wakefield, and then he heard a couple of sentences out of my mouth and heard a little bit of New York in there, he got out his guns. You know the whole thing now about we can't have bullying in our grammar schools? That all stems from Chris's presence in grammar school. (laughs) It was miserable. Now, second story. In 2005, Seven Mile Road somehow... Got accepted into the Acts 29 church planting network. I think the assessment at that time was this right here. He has a pulse and he's planting a church. Come on in. We need warm bodies. And so in 2005, summertime, Grace and I and Julia, who was one year old, flew to Boulder, Colorado for the pastor's retreat with our new network. And when we got there, we also didn't know a soul. We were three Bostonians in Boulder, Colorado. What did we desperately need? We needed someone there with a heart willing to love the stranger, to welcome this new couple and this exotic, beautiful Italian-looking mom and her daughter because they didn't have much of that in this network. Here's what we got. We got Scott Thomas. We were pushing Julia in our little stroller past the cabins in this place where we were staying. And all of a sudden, this door swings open, screen door swings open. And out comes this guy that looks exactly like Tom Selleck. (laughs) Doppelganger. Broad shoulders, bush of hair, bright smile, and the stash just like coming at you in 3D. Just coming at me out of this open door. 
And he steps toward us and he says, hey, I'm Scott Thomas. Great to meet you. He invites us into the little cabin to meet his wife and sit at their table. And he gets invested in who we are, where we are from. Tell me about your church plant. That was our introduction to the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. It's one of the reasons that our hearts are so entwined with those men and those women. All right, so here's my question. Chris Kruger or Scott Thomas? Who is Jesus calling us to be? I win today, or I would say the Spirit wins today, if you walk out of here saying, it's, it's Tom Selleck. It's the gospel-centered guy who loved the stranger. All right, let's pray. Father, without your grace, this stuff will just bang off our head. Boom. But with your grace, it might move from our ears to our minds, to our hearts, to our hands. And your glory might be shown off through this church. So I'm asking for that outcome. Would you hear my prayer and answer for it as I've been asking this week? Amen. All right, let's start with this fortune cookie saying up here. I know you've heard it before. My house is my castle. Have you heard that before? All right, I'm be real careful here. Have you said that before? Don't raise your hand. Have you heard that or said that before? My house is my castle. This is the way that a lot of Americans and a lot of Bostonians Think about our house, our apartment. Um, Two big problems with this philosophy from a gospel-centered point of view. The first one is the double my in here. My house. My castle. The truth is that it's not your house. It's God's house. Now, it is your house in a secondary way. You are a steward, but ultimately... If you have a home or an apartment or a car or a bank account, ultimately, my is only a phrase that God can use. In love, he has allowed us to have these things, but our bodies, our voices, our minds, our money, our homes don't belong ultimately to us. They are ours so that they might be mobilized for God's purposes in the world. Now, I'm not going to rebuke you if you say, hey, do you want to come to my house? It's fine if you use the vernacular like that. I get what you're saying. As long as underneath you know, well, it's mine in a secondary sense. So when you hear my house, my castle, you should go, can we talk about that my for a second? And then the second problem is your house is not meant to be a castle. All right, how does a castle work? Anybody love those movies or the Dilly Dilly commercials? How does a, how does a castle work? A castle is built to keep people out. Wicked high walls. Tiny little windows, right? Little windows. A sentry at the gate with a sword. And then some soldiers with flaming arrows and those cauldrons of boiling hot water, ready to pour on you if you get too close. Then we dig a moat around it, and we put alligators in there. And the entrance to the castle is a drawbridge that we can lift at any moment. A castle is closed. 
but a Christian home is supposed to be the exact opposite. A Christian home is supposed to be open. Not let the mosquitoes in open or let the heat out open, but come on in. You are welcome here. You will be loved here open. All right, last time I preached, I pressed this text of Scripture with you guys, and you loved it. The Spirit said to us, let brotherly love continue. You should have seen your faces when I was preaching this to you. You were all in. You were like, I am so glad this is in the Bible. I'm down with loving the people in this room. That's good. Super tight community has always been a mark of God's people. Christians should dig hanging out with each other. I know not every one of the hundred people in this room is like BFFs with each other. That's okay. But we are to love each other with a warm, familial love. You don't have to twist people's arm in this room to get them to hang out with each other. Two Saturdays ago, Julia's friend Hannah invited her to come up to her house in Billerica. And so I was like, oh, man, I must be a 40-year-old dad with teenagers. Here we go. I'm driving to Billerica so she can hang out with her friends. So I knew that Roy and Jess lived in an apartment in Billerica as they're seeking to get closer to the church. And so I texted them and I said, hey, I'm dropping Julia off for three hours. Can I come hang out with you guys? Now, I don't know exactly how they responded because I didn't have like a secret camera in their house. But the text I got back seemed to me that they were excited for me to come over right away. He was like, come by. We'll watch the Red Sox. We had a great time. Had some conversations, ate some macaroni and cheese on top of pizza. Have you seen this? Macaroni and cheese on top of pizza. And just had a great time together because we're family. Let brotherly love continue. We don't stress about that one. Today we're working on the next verse, which is not so easy. The gospel command to love one another is quickly followed up with a gospel command to love the outsider. Here's how the Spirit says it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. This is Bible. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Okay, this phrase, hospitality to strangers, is actually a single word in the original language. It's the word, we're going to put it up here, don't freak out at it, philozenia. It's a combination of two Greek words, philo, which means friend or warmth or love or friendliness, and xenos, which means stranger. Philadelphia is the word you're familiar with, love of the brothers. Here's a different one, love of the strangers. Here's what the Spirit is saying to you. Set your hearts to be warm and welcoming to people that you have not met yet. Set your hearts to be warm and welcoming to people who are not yet a part of our community. Replace, hey, get off my lawn with, come sit at my table. All right, last month I read a book by Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Gospel Comes with a house key. I like that name. Basically, it was an autobiography and a field guide about her family's devotion to philozenia, how they opened their home in pronounced ways 
to strangers. Here was the big idea of the book, the best that I could understand it. I loved it. She said that philoxenia is this. It is seeking to move someone from stranger to friend and maybe even to family. Having a heart that is all in on moving someone who's a stranger to at least becoming a friend and then maybe even gospel family. What I love about this big idea is the hopefulness that is in there. Okay, she insists, insists that if the gospel is true, the fear that normally surrounds our engagement with strangers gets replaced with hope. We move from fear to hope. All right, has anybody ever heard this phrase before? Stranger danger. You've heard that one before? Okay. Uh, In America, this is how we are discipled to think about strangers from when we're really little. Now, I know this is a jacked up world and we all saw Mystic River. And so there is a real reason why we would tell a kindergarten student, a five-year-old, stranger, danger. Don't take lollipops or rides or suitcases at the airport from someone that's not a part of our family. Now, while that is often good discipleship and it's the right posture to protect and care for a small child, fear is not the posture from which we live the gospel life. Faith is. Optimism is. Hopefulness is, including the hope of what God might do if we were a people who welcomed strangers. Fear triggers fight or flight, but hope triggers openness. Now, the reason that she wrote this book, and this was the big idea of the book, is that this is exactly how she came to believe the gospel. I'll give you the story in microcosm form. So she said that she was a happily lesbian, fully postmodern, English studies professor at Syracuse University in upstate New York. Go orange. All right. She was convinced that the Bible was a racist, misogynist, homophobic horror show of a sacred text. She put every Blue State bumper sticker that there was on the back of her pickup truck, and she was determined in her academic studies to prove how ridiculous the Bible was, English studies professor. But because she had academic integrity, and many English study professors don't anymore, but she did, she said, I can't pursue this book I want to write without actually reading the Bible. I need to get to the primary source. And I probably shouldn't write this book that I want to write without meeting some Christian somewhere who actually loves the Bible and kind of builds their life based on its truth. Then she said that she had recently written an anti-Christian op-ed for the paper in Syracuse, and she got a whole bunch of hate mail. And she went through all of it, but she got this one letter that she didn't know what to do with because the writer was not blasting her. He was challenging her, but with a warmth and a welcome, and a love that caught her off guard. She says at the end of the letter, 
she was shocked to read these words. He said, my wife and I would love to have you over to our home. You are welcome at any time. You feel that? Here she was, this stranger, with a worldview that was foreign and hostile to his, and yet he was willing to open his home, open his fridge, open his table, open his life to her. And she said that she spent a year in the home of this holy, humble, hospitable pastor and his family. And in that time, Christ moved her from stranger to friend to family. If you have been at Seven Mile Road for any length of time, you know that the last few years we have determined that hospitality is going to be one of the essentials of the way that we live our life together in love for the people that we are sent to. So here's how we say it up here. We want every Bostonian that we meet in every context that we meet them to feel like Seven Mile Road was built with them in mind. That's what we're going for. That's what Heather's new foyer and the fridge is all about. Loving people who are here for the first time. Please don't tell me that you're drinking the drinks in that fridge. Those are a means of hospitality so that someone comes in and we're able to say, hey, what kind of a cold drink would you like? We got 10 choices. That's an act of love to a stranger who might love Gatorade. That would be me. Or orange juice. I don't know who that would be. Or a cold cappuccino. That's like 97% of you. That's there because we're going to be committed to Philo. Xenia together. The home for the holidays thing that Tracy just talked about, that's exactly what that is. What if we open the doors of our church to welcome you, feed you, and say, hey, it's great to meet you. Let's be friends. That's what our connections team is about. Maybe 10 of you are on that team. You have one mission on Sunday morning to make sure that anyone who is a stranger to us, when they walk in, does not feel like a stranger when they walk out. This is why you host folks from the missions teams that come and serve, and you say, my house will be open. My air mattress is going to get blown up. I would love to have you, stranger, be with me for a week so that we might become friends and maybe family. This is what our play group is all about. So yesterday we had 20 folks from our city who are strangers to us, but have been invited into our space to be with their children on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, come to a potluck meal that we had for them. And there was 10 or so of us there saying, hey, I don't know you yet, but I would love it if you move from being a stranger to being a friend. And that's good. And maybe even becoming a part of our family, doing the work of loving outsiders so that they may become insiders. All right, so you're looking at me like, I got it. I got the big idea. It's good. Now, here's the big catch in this sermon. It is very hard to live this way. It is very hard to live this way. 
This is why the Spirit had to say it how in the text. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. All right, why did he say it that way? Think of some of the things that you neglect doing in your life. So like I'm looking at Wesley over here, a fourth grader, he would say, my homework. I just going to go play soccer on the West Knoll, but homework, all right, I'll do that when I have to. How about filing your taxes? Does anybody neglect that until April 14th at 10 p.m.? How about getting the chimney cleaned? How about getting your car inspected? Anybody know what month my sticker is on right now? I'm parked on Main Street. It's the Honda Accord. Go write down how old that inspection sticker is. How about raking the leaves? You neglect it, you neglect it. Then what happens every time? Oh, it rains like a mother, and then the leaves weigh like 77 pounds, and you can barely rake them up because you neglected it. How about telling your mother-in-law that you're not going to her pampered chef party? You neglect having that conversation. What the Spirit is saying is it's the same thing with phylozenia. There's something in this work that we quickly go, yeah, maybe later, maybe next month, maybe the next stranger, and we neglect it. Why do we do that? Okay, I have my list, so you'll see the kind of sinner that I am. Maybe these will intersect with you. If not, you can tell me what yours are later. So number one, it takes time, and we're always in a rush, right? To meet somebody brand new that you've never met takes time. You have to sit and ask and listen and be patient with building a relationship. There's this new lady that works across from me at my day job now. Her name is Robin. For six months, I've had to put the effort in to get to know Robin, to get to know where she's from, how she ended up working here, if she's married, if she's got kids, what she loves to do, what she's doing this weekend. In all of that, I have to go invest the time, and we hesitate to do that. We've filled our calendars up with stuff, and there's no time to love somebody that we haven't met yet. If you love your 9.15 bedtime too much, and you love people too little, you will neglect Philoxenia. All right, how about this one? It costs money. <sighs> this is a problem with So every year we do something at our house that we call First Fire. The first night that we're going to throw on the fireplace, we invite everybody in our neighborhood and everybody that we've been meeting and our kids have been meeting to say, hey, if you want to come be in our home, come do this with us. It's free for them, but it's not free for us. There's wood to purchase and food to buy and drinks to buy, although people will often come with drinks. There are flyers to print up every year. Brandon and I got to go buy two new basketballs so the kids have a ball to shoot around with. Last year, we had to buy some floodlights because my kids are older and they want to be outside later. It's expensive. Showing hospitality is going to require you to live below your means. I don't know how any Christian doesn't live on 85, 86% of what they make so that they can tithe to the work of God and then have more available to invest in relationships with strangers. If you love money too much and people too little, you will neglect to show 
hospitality to strangers. All right, how about this one? It makes a mess. Some of you guys live in a mess because you're not type A and you're like, that does not apply to me. But showing hospitality means your space is going to be messier than you want it to be. So I got berated by Suzanne last Sunday, like 10 minutes before the service. Uh, just a quick note, if you have something to yell at me about, it's fine. But don't do it 10 minutes before the service. Do it 10 minutes after, or like maybe Tuesday, that would be better. Anyway, she was like, the basement's filthy. And she was right. I wasn't arguing with her about it. I love Suzanne. We'll take a bullet for her. I'm not slandering her because she's not here today. I would say the same thing if she was right over there. Um, the question is, why was the basement filthy? So part of it is because we don't have a full-time custodian. Okay, why else? Because we are loving strangers with that space. And so she's right. It's going to be a little messier than we might prefer for it to be. You know what breaks every year during the first fire? Every year, without question. What breaks? The toilet in our first floor bathroom, right? That's messy to keep going in there and fixing that thing. We have this little people's kitchen in our dining room. Don't tell Annabelle or William or Eve, but I hate this thing because you cannot clean it because it's just crowded with little stuff. Why is a little people's kitchen still in my dining room when my youngest child is almost 11? Because we're going to love strangers, and many of them come to us with little kids, like Natalie and Silas, who think that kitchen is the greatest thing on earth. But my dining room is a lot messier than I would prefer for it to be. Say it like this. If you love neat too much and people too little, you will neglect to show phyla linear. All right, one more. I'm not wired for it. This has been one of my huge prayers this week in thinking of serving you this morning. Um, it's this point right here. Some of you think this is the greatest sermon you've ever heard in your life, and you hope I keep preaching till like 2 p.m. Because you are wired for this. My grandmother was that kind of a lady. She would fly from LaGuardia to Logan. How long are you in the air on that flight? 40 minutes? She would be best friends with half the plane before it touched down. There was no conversation that she would not have or that she would not step into. Everybody loved Dottie Cruz because she would talk to anybody. She had gospel hope in her veins. She figured, give me a stranger and there'll be family in 20 minutes. She would come to our house and we would talk to like one in the morning when I was a teenager. And then I'd come down at like six to use the bathroom and she would be up talking with somebody else. Philozenia Ninja. That's what we put on her uh, gravestone in Flushing. We have those people at Seven Mile Road, right? Patty, Jill, Katie, Lori, Heather, Jess. Have you seen what happens when they meet someone for the first time? It's unbelievable. Todd and Kathy, he told me the other day he was just walking his dog with a Melrose person and ended up getting in a conversation about Jesus. How do you do that? Some of you guys are built warm to welcome the stranger into your life, into conversation. Some of us are not so amazing 
at that. People often assume that I am an extrovert because I bring so much energy to preaching or to playing pickup, just like talking nonstop and my hands are flying around. I've often been asked if I'm doing sign language up here with you. So they assume that I got some kind of extrovert DNA from, you know, my grandmother and my father. Uh, It's not true. I love to communicate in front of crowds, but I have a hard time being in a crowd, having to engage in unscripted chit-chat. Oh, man, I don't know how you people do that. I would have been terrible at sales because it's not easy for me to get into a conversation with a stranger. That's work for me. Here's the thing that I need you to know. Philo, Xenia, that you are called to, is not primarily about how you are wired. It is not primarily about your social skills. It is primarily about your heart. That's what this is about. The gospel always deals with our heart first. Is there a love for strangers in you so that you will be willing to step outside of your comfort zone and say, I don't care if this is uncomfortable. I'm going to love this stranger. The Spirit commands us to not neglect doing that. All right, let's finish by talking about why. Why would we live this way? So this is a gospel-centered pursuit, meaning it's our believing of the gospel that moves us toward people that we have not met yet. I'm not going to hit on all the reasons this is true. I'd love for your gospel community to like come up with all the reasons why gospel triggers hospitality to strangers. So for one thing, we were strangers. We know what that feels like. And God in the gospel has moved toward us and thrown open the home of heaven and said, come on in. How can we be closed? strangers, if that's our story. That's gospel. For another thing, every stranger bears the image of God. And if he sent his son to give his life so that image bearers, whoever would believe, would find life in him, how can we be closed to people, men and women, who bear the image of God? It's not possible. But here's the one I want to hit on with you because it's actually in the text. It's right here. When you welcome a stranger, you are welcoming Jesus. Okay, the text said it like this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Some have entertained angels unawares. All right, this thought most likely comes from the story of Abraham and Sarah and their welcome of the three strangers in Genesis 18. If you want to read a fun story, read that. It's such a story of warmth and hospitality, exactly what this looks like. Abraham was just sitting, chilling in front of his tent by the oaks of Mamre. I know that sounds weird, but like, we have Oak Grove, right? So he was living in Oak Grove, sitting on his porch. And three strangers come walking over the hill. And he runs to them, and he says, please stop in and stay with us. And he calls his family together, and he says, you, go get the best calf we have. Snap its neck, get that thing on the grill. You, get the milk and the sugar, and we got to make some serious dessert. You, blow up those air mattresses, 
I want the warmest bed laid out for these guys. Go bake the triple layer chocolate cake, you know, with the chocolate mousse and then the layer and then the vanilla mousse and then they put the chocolatey, spicy, crunchy food in there. I want that this big. Nora Jones on the home pod. We want this to be warm. He and his family threw themselves into hospitality to these strangers. And you know what the, the text says? It says that one of those strangers was the Lord. The first verse in the chapter, it's the coolest thing. So there are these theophanies in the older covenant when Christ pre-incarnate came to walk among us. And this was one of them. And the point of this verse is to say to you, if Abraham thought his tent was his castle, if he was too stingy with his time and his money and the neatness of his house, and whatever his social issues were, he would have missed the opportunity to welcome and serve Christ. The text is saying that that story is paradigmatic for your life. At every turn that you welcome and serve a stranger, it's like you are welcoming and serving Christ. Jesus himself said this to us in Matthew 25, He pulled his disciples together, and he said, on the day when the Son of Man pulls the elect into his kingdom, he's going to say, one of the reasons you're here is because I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And the disciples went, time out, time out. What are you talking about? We knew about you before we met you. We heard about this rabbi who was doing healings. We weren't strangers to, to you. And Jesus says these amazing words. He says, as much as you did so to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. This means that every time you open your home and you open your backyard and you open your fridge and you open your life to a stranger, you are opening yourself to Jesus. That's how he sees it. And of course, if any church on the planet would know this to be true, it would be us because of the story of the seven-mile road. Jesus is walking and talking with two of his downcast disciples, and they have no idea that it's him in his glorified state. But when they get to their home, seven miles from Jerusalem, what did they do? Read the Seven Mile Road story. Did they go, all right, buddy, nice talking with you, but it's 9.15, that's bedtime. No. Luke 24 says that they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And what happens next in the story? When he was at table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So there's 12 beautiful gospel things going on right there, but one of them is this. In loving the stranger, they were literally loving Jesus. In other words, a gospel-saturated 
heart sees every opportunity to show hospitality as potential not only to move someone from stranger to friend and maybe gospel family, if God is in it, but also as an opportunity to welcome and serve Jesus. If all this is true, how could we be castle people? How could we be closed people? How could we not throw the doors of our life open? So here's your question, and then we'll pray. Is your life open to strangers? Is your life open to strangers? Now notice I use a big word, life, because I know a bunch of you guys don't have a home, you don't have a table, you live in an apartment, or you're living at your buddy's house, and you're like, I can't exactly like have strangers over for dinner. If you have a home, we want you mobilizing it for this, but I want you to just take it a step up and just say, my life in general, when I come across someone who's an outsider, the new kid, the foreigner, the refugee, do I do this or do I do this? Jesus is calling us to this. All right, let's pray together. Spirit, thank you for these words. They're so life-giving. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For in doing so, some have entertained angels unawares. Thank you for those words of Scripture. I pray that you would work on the heart of this church to be hopeful and not fearful. That we would live as if you might make strangers our friends and maybe our gospel family. And that we would be convinced in our bones that our openness or our closeness to strangers, foreigners, refugees, the new kid, is a reflection of our openness or our closeness to you. Forgive our sins. Help us in our weakness. And do something beautiful as we give ourselves to hospitality in this church. Would you hear my prayer and answer, I pray. Amen. All right, thanks for listening through to that. But don't lose this big thought. What do